The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. And so, God, as we open your word, we need you. We don't need our wisdom or our understanding, whatever that is. We need yours. So, Holy Spirit, speak clearly to us this morning. Do your work. Do incredible things for your fame and our joy this morning. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I, um, I'm glad that you're with us this morning. I went to uh, school in Mississippi. That's where I went to college, and my wife is actually there this morning visiting somebody, and, and it's, I went to a place in Clinton, Mississippi, right outside of Jackson, three hours south of here, and I had a, a good friend of mine who asked me to come home with him one, one weekend and, and, and hang out with him, see his, his home, meet his family, and he lived in the delta of Mississippi. He lived in a, a place called Belzoni, Belzoni, Mississippi. Anybody know where that is? Anybody? It is where they hold the World Catfish like festival, right? The World Catfish Festival there in Belzoni, Mississippi. And you ask, what else is there? Nothing. That's it. All right, that's it. And it's about it, it, when we made the drive. It was about an hour and a half to hour and forty-five minutes from our school. However, we made that drive in one hour. And no, we weren't in speeding, just uh, uh, driving at the speed of sound. No, we weren't doing that. But what we were doing was we came up to uh, to this bypass that was under construction. There's this big old bridge, right, that was under construction, and it had a sign on it that said, do not enter under construction. And so he started to drive towards it. He started to enter. And I said, uh, now hang on a second, all right? I like to break the rules like the, guy, like, like the next guy. No, I don't. Uh, but... I don't think we should go on this road. And he said, look, the last time I was home, I saw that it's reached my house. Like, it's reached my town. They've completed it. They're probably just trying to dot some I's, cross some T's. Let's go, right? And I was like, man, I don't know. And I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know if I thought maybe we'd get on that bridge and, like, there'd be a SWAT team waiting for us. And they drop down. And they're like, we got them, right? I don't know what I was expecting. But I was terrified, right? And, and here's what happened. We got on the bridge, and we just kept going. And all of a sudden, we were at his house a half hour sooner than we would have been. And so it worked out. What was keeping us from getting on that bridge? What was keeping us from the reward of not being in the car for another half hour? What was, what was keeping us from that? A sign. A sign that said, do not enter, right? That was it. And he just drove by it, and bam, we were there. It was incredible. And, and I, I, what we've been talking about is these spiritual disciplines. And, and, and what I mean by that, what, what they are is um, they are avenues that God has provided for us to take. Um, and, and on these avenues, that's where we will most likely encounter the grace of God. You want to encounter the grace of God in your life? You want to encounter God and see him revolutionize your life and, and transform you to be more like himself, then he's provided these avenues of grace, these roads, if you will, of grace to intersect with him. And I, I wonder if the enemy doesn't do to us so often uh, what that construction crew was doing to us that, that day in, in Mississippi. He just pulls, puts up a sign and just says, don't, don't enter. And maybe that do not enter sign looks like in the form of difficulties, right? Well, well don't enter. You don't want to spend time reading the word of God because it's super hard, right? Like you remember the last time 
time you tried to read it, that didn't go so well. All right, so it's difficult, so do not enter. And, and, or, or maybe it's with prayer, and, and maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's time. And, and he says, okay, yeah, 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 you could pray, but you don't want to really get down this road of, uh, of really spending time in, in meditative and reflective prayer. You don't want to do that because you're busy, all right? Maybe you've got a really demanding job. Maybe you did something stupid and had four kids. Like maybe you've got like a lot of different responsibilities. I have four kids. That's the joke. All right. So maybe you have a lot of responsibilities. You, you don't, don't enter. All right. Just don't. Just go around. Right. And I wonder how many times we've done that. Where, where God's provided this road, this avenue to, to intersect with his grace for our lives. And we just, we've seen that sign that do not enter in whatever form it comes in. And we've just gone, I'm just going to keep going. And I think that that's true. That's true for all of these spiritual disciplines. But maybe for me personally, maybe it's the most true for the one we're dealing with today, which is fasting. And I would say that that do not enter sign probably looks like the unknown. And that's what, that's what really kept me off that road that day. That's really why I didn't want to go down there was I didn't know it was waiting for me on the other side. And, and maybe that's true for you in fasting. And I know like growing up in my church, uh, I grew up in a real small country church, Bellevue Baptist right up the street. And uh, I know in, in my church growing up, either fasting wasn't a focus or I just turned my brain off uh, whenever it was brought up. And that could be the case, all right? That could be the case. But I don't remember fasting being a, a big deal in my church growing up and and also from growing up even up until now fasting fasting hasn't been that big a deal in my life and and maybe it's for a couple reasons like maybe one the idea of like denying myself something we live in a culture of indulgence right have, has anybody in here ever turned down a supersize when someone asks you, right, at a fast food job? I don't. I never do. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. Like, I'm American. Yes, supersize it, right? Like, we are a culture of indulgence. Anybody been watching Netflix lately and then you feel really bad about yourself because then all of a sudden Netflix is going to the fourth episode of Friends and it says, are you still watching, right? Which is kind of like reminding you, what is wrong with you? Get out and go live life. But, like, we are a culture of indulgence. I, I don't think it's just that though. I think it's a combination of that, but but also we just don't know. I just don't know. I, I don't know what this fasting thing is all about. I don't know uh, what what uh, an incredible grace it is. I just don't know. I don't understand it. And so this morning, I, I hope that the, the Lord will give us some understanding and, and, and it'll help us bypass the, the roadblocks that the enemy throws up to keep us off this path of fasting. So here's what I want to do this morning. You've got your handouts there. I want to answer six questions about fasting this morning using uh, the example of the Lord Jesus. And, and, and I hope that he, he gets a lot of us back on this path of grace. All right. So number one, what is fasting? Well, I want to give you a, a Richard Foster's definition. He wrote a book, Celebration of Discipline, that I cannot recommend highly enough. And here was his definition of fasting. And, and I, I thought it was incredible. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. All right, so we're going to leave that up for a while if you want to try to jot that down. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So giving up a normal function. That could be something you need, and most commonly it is, like food. All right, that's a normal function, eating, right? It could be something you normally spend your time on, entertainment or media or a hobby or, or even working out or something like that. It could be something that just normally has your attention, the radio or, or, or movies or television or something else, but it's a, a normal function, a regular part of your life, what you spend your energy and your time on, all right? So a voluntary denial, something you're willing to do to give that up 
for the sake of intense spiritual activity. It's not just giving it up, all right? Giving, like, just giving up food is not uh, Christian fasting. That's dieting, all right? That, it's not the same thing. So it's giving up a voluntary denial of normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity, right? So that's replacing that normal function, that normal time, that normal energy that you spend on something else with uh, uh, intense spiritual activity, which could be, most commonly, it's prayer. But it, it could be uh, a Bible reading, Bible meditation, Bible memorization, worship. It could be a number of things, but again, it's, it's voluntarily denying a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So now we know what it is, so why do we fast? What is our, what's our motivation in fasting? Well, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 17. We're going to look at Jesus addressing fasting. Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chairs. You can use your smartphone, follow along, whatever. Here we go. Matthew chapter 9. Beginning in verse 14, Matthew 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. Let's start there. You look there in verse 14. We see that the disciples of John are asking Jesus a question. They're saying, look, we fast and the Pharisees fast. Why aren't you fasting? Well, let's ask ourselves first, why are they fasting? Why are the disciples of John and the Pharisees fasting? Well, one, probably tradition. As far as I can tell, it's not the Day of Atonement, which is the only commanded fast in the, in the law, in the Torah. So it's not that. Why are they doing it? Well, apparently at this time, the, the Pharisees had created this tradition of fasting twice a week. And they would fast on Monday and Thursday. We know that because it's talked about in the Talmud, which is the, the written recording of the oral tradition of, of, of the Jews. So it's in there. But also, Jesus gives us an illustration when he's talking in Luke 18. 12, and he's talking about the Pharisee who's praying, right, praying out loud. Everybody's hearing him. He's really awesome, getting a lot of attention on himself. And one of the things he says is that I fast twice a week, right? So he's saying, look, I fast twice. This is a, a regular thing in my life. And apparently, probably what the, the, the disciples of John have done, they've adopted uh, this tradition, right? Or maybe they're doing it out of mourning. John the Baptist is in prison at this point. I don't know. But, but potentially they're doing it out of tradition, which is really funny because like you think like church people have changed over the last 2,000 years. We're the same way, right? We still take something that's good and we can turn it into a tradition and just keep going, right? So tradition, but also they're doing it out of mourning. Jesus answered John's disciples. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So Jesus characterizes their fasting as mourning. And why would they be mourning? Why would their fasting be categorized as mourning? Well, they're mourning because God's been silent for 400 years to Israel. They had, there hasn't been a prophet for his people. They're fasting and mourning out of a longing for this day when God would again show his favor to Israel. They're fasting and, and they're mourning and longing and waiting for the day when God would restore Israel from its rebellious present state. Where, it, where he would take them from what they are now, which is this minority, forgotten, pushed aside group of people and make them 
them into the nation that they believe they should be. But Jesus' disciples aren't mourning. Why? Well, look at his answer in verse 15 again. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. So I want you to see a few things about his response here. One, Jesus makes an unveiled claim of his own deity. Jesus doesn't do this a lot. In the, in the New Testament. He doesn't, he doesn't make this claim to be God a lot in an unveiled way. And this is just plain as day. He just calls himself the bridegroom. And we get that from Hosea chapter 2. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I'll betroth you to me, making God who? The bridegroom in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. It'll come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I'll answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. So Jesus is making a claim right now. I am God. I am the bridegroom. And then he goes on basically to say, this isn't a time for fasting and mourning. The bridegroom has come, right? What's been so long waited, right? What you've been fasting and mourning for, it's here. This is a time to celebrate. It's not appropriate for my disciples to, to sit here and mourn. This is, this is a celebration, all right? Justification has come. The atonement has come, right? God is bringing about his new covenant now. It's come, right? This is a time to celebrate. God's silence is gone. He used to speak through his prophets. Now he's speaking through his son. It's a time to celebrate. So no, no, no. This isn't appropriate. It's not okay for them to fast right now because I'm here. The bridegroom has come. And then lastly, Jesus says, you know what? They will fast. Look there again in verse 15. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. The bridegroom, Jesus, is always with us, right? He says he is, and in a way, he is, but in a profound way, he isn't. And what I mean is that our flesh is still here. Last week, we talked about uh, praying that God's kingdom would come, that it would invade, his rule would invade every area of our lives. There's still area of my lives where I, of my life where I'm praying, God, would you please come? Would you let your kingdom come? Where, where my flesh has, has taken up residency and I'm regularly fighting it. Lord Jesus, please come into those areas of my life. And also look at our world around us. It's, it's broken, right? You don't have to even go outside of this room. We experience all these relational issues with one another. Why? Because our world is still broken. Our bridegroom has come, but he is still coming to make Make it all right again. And so we see the early church immediately fasting in Acts. As soon as Jesus ascends, they are fasting, right? Looking forward to that day. So what does this tell us about why we fast? Isn't that what we ask? Why do we fast? What's our motivation? Jesus is going to make it clearer in these next few verses. So in verse 16 and 17, we see that weird thing he says about the wineskins and all of that. And, and he's addressing an assumption that's underneath their question, right? He's addressing an assumption that's underneath the, the question from uh, John's disciples. And their question about fasting assumed that Jesus' teachings, what he's doing, is, is patching up 
the old ways, right? It, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just shoring up the old ways of doing things, the old covenant with God. That's what he's here for. He's just kind of patching it up, right? He's just kind of, uh, he's giving maybe a new way. So maybe they're saying, you know what? You're a great teacher, and so you're going to bring some, some new reforms to what we've got going on. That's it. That's what you're here for. Or maybe they would go this far. They might even say, you know what? Okay, maybe you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, and you're going to bring about the kingdom that we've always expected and the way we've always expected, right? So they're still thinking in this old way, and Jesus was telling them, I'm not patching up the old covenant. In fact, I'm bringing a brand new one. And Jesus says that in Luke 22, 20. He, and at the Lord's Supper, he says, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And look at what Hebrews 9, 15 says about Jesus and us in the new covenant. It says, therefore, he, that's Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called, that's us, may receive the promised internal, eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So under the first covenant, you were guilty of many transgressions, but Jesus has redeemed you through his death in this new covenant. And so he gives us this picture in verse 16 and 17 and he gives it to the disciples of John this picture of I'm doing something new something better not not just not just patching up the old right not just giving some new teachings to fit into the old system no 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 I'm doing something new look at verse 16 no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made neither is new wine put into old wine skins if it is the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Maybe a modern illustration might be, I'm not going to put a brand new operating system on a 10-year-old computer. Anybody ever try to do that before? What happens to your computer? Not so good. What happens to your software? It doesn't work out for either of them, right? No, no, no. I'm giving something brand new here, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm bringing a new covenant. This is a new way of doing things. This is a better covenant with better promise. That's what Hebrews says. I'm not saying that. That's what Hebrews 8, 6 says. It's a better covenant with better promises. And so everything's changed. You were in bondage before under the law, and now you're free. You were condemned under the law, and now you are declared righteous. The groom has come, and everything has changed. What does this have to do with fasting? Well, he says there, you will fast again, but you're not going to fast like before. It's going to be new fasting. You're going to fast, but you're not going to fast like before. How's this different? Well, before they fasted and hungered for something that they have not tasted yet, that hasn't occurred yet. So there's, there's only this, this, this dissatisfaction in the not yet. That's, that's what characterizes this fasting that the, that the disciples of John are in. That's what characterizes the, the fasting that, that, that the Pharisees are in. It's something they haven't tasted yet. It's something they can only long for, right? And so it's, its major component there is a dissatisfaction in the not yet, right? That's what's going going on with them. But in Christian fasting, in this new fasting, we hunger because we have tasted and we want more, right? We, fir- we, we fast first with a contentment in what Jesus has done, right? The bridegroom has shown up. He's paid my penalty, right? He has made me new. I'm righteous before God because of him. And so my fasting first and foremost comes with a contentment in the already and what God has already done, what I've already experienced 
experience, and, and, it, and it's coupled then with the dissatisfaction in, what's to, in, in, in what has not come and what is yet to come, right? So, so what I'm saying is that, that I want your final work to come. I've tasted and I've seen the good work that is following you, that your redemption's doing in me, of your, of your kingdom ruling in my life, of transforming me from this old way of living to this new way of living, and I want more of it. That's what this new fasting is. Thank you for what you've done, and I want more, right? It's been incredible to see you and to experience you. I want more. So very simply, what is our motivation in fasting, in this new fasting? Well, ultimately, the ultimate purpose is we've experienced his redemptive work in our lives, and we want more. So this new fasting is about this. Here's our motivation. Can I break it down? I'm just going to make it real simple here. Here's our motivation when we fast. Are you ready? I want more of God. That's it. My motivation in fasting is not, God, I want you to do this for me. It's not, I want other people to see how spiritual I am. It's not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check off this discipline. It's none of that. Here's our motivation. God, I want more of you. I have tasted and I have seen that you're good. And I hunger for more of you. That's fasting. That's fasting for us. That's why we do it. I've tasted and I've seen your goodness. And I just want more. So. If, that's what, if that should be our motivation, what's the result of that type of fasting? What's the result? Well, turn to Matthew 6. Go back a few chapters. Turn to Matthew 6. Look at what Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount about fasting. Look at verse 16. Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So apparently there are people out there who, they want people to know they're fasting, right? So they don't, they don't comb their hair, they don't wash their hair. They try to look as rough as possible so that people will look at them and go, oh, he must be fasting, right? So that people will give notice, so that they'll get attention. And Jesus says, you know what? They got what they wanted. That's their reward. That's what a reward is, right? You get what you want, that's a reward, right? So they got what they wanted. That's their reward. They wanted people to notice, fantastic. You got it, bam. They noticed, good job, guys, right? But Jesus says, look, when you fast, when you fast, don't disfigure your face, Comb your hair. Make it look, just look normal, all right? Don't try to draw attention to yourself. Just do it so that your fasting is in secret and your father who is in secret will see you and he will reward you. Well, what reward? Well, a reward is only, some, is only as good as what you want, right? It's what you desire, right? Like, for example, if, if, I had a, if I put a poster up or whatever, like one of my dogs ran away, which I don't know if I'd really look that hard. But all right, but if I put a poster up and I was like, my dog ran away, reward um, reward $100. You might be motivated if you see my dog to, 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 to bring it back to me, right? Because that's what you want. You want that, right? But what if I said uh, uh, reward, uh, my dog is lost, bring him back, reward, um, uh, you, you can pooper scoop my yard for the, the remainder of his life, right? Is that a reward? No, because you don't want that. And if you do, I don't want you to bring my dog back. That's weird, all right? I don't want to see you. I don't want to meet you. But you get my point. A reward is what you want. 
And so what's our reward? It says that he'll see us in secret and he'll give us our reward. What's our reward? Well, what's your motivation? You want more of God? Then here's what your reward is. You get it. You get more of God. You want more of man? You want more of their attention? Then fine, you can have it. But do you want more of God? Then you will have it. And that's what fasting does. Fasting accomplishes that. It accomplishes this incredible intimacy between us and God. And we get God. He deepens our faith in fasting when we're seeking after him. He rewards us with a a strengthening our affections for him. And you might say, okay, that sounds good. And that might sound like, okay, fine. Philosophically, I agree with you. But how does that, how? How does he accomplish that through fasting? How does me not getting my, 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 my happy meal and praying, what, how does that accomplish that in my life? How does it get me closer to him? And, and that's the fourth question I want to answer. How does God use fasting to bring us closer to himself, to deepen our faith, to strengthen our affections for himself? Well, I'm going to give you five quick ways, five ways God uses fasting to give us more of himself. Number one, fasting humbles us. It reveals our, our weakness. How do you feel after missing one meal? Anybody feel okay? Some of you might. You might feel okay. How, how do you feel after missing two meals? Little, not as okay, right? How do you feel after missing three meals? Mad, right? You, you're not the same person, are you? And, and, and that, isn't that the point of the Snickers commercials, right? You know what I mean? Like, you aren't you when you're hungry, right? Like, Snickers. By the way, this message was sponsored by Snickers. Uh, but anyway, I... Like, like that's the point is that afterwards, like you need it, you need it to, to function. And there's something about like missing that meal and, and coming before God. It reminds me how small and weak I am. God, I, I need this food to like keep going. I, I need this food or, or I'll die. Like I'm weak. I'm dependent upon that. That's so small. And then, it, and then it humbles me even more to go, well, where do I even get that food that I need to live on? Well, it comes from you. I am so small, and you are so great. Hudson Taylor uh, said that he, he found a Chinese Christian who were accustomed to spending time in fasting and prayer, and he said, they recognize that this fasting, which so many dislike, which requires faith in God, since it makes one feel weak, and poorly, it's really a divinely appointed means of grace. Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean upon. So it makes me realize how weak I am and how incredibly strong he is. I need this stuff to live on, and you give it to me. I need you. That's what I need. I need you, not me. My strength is nothing without you. I need you. And it makes us humble ourselves before God. And that's a wonderful thing. Because James 4 says that God opposes the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. So fasting humbles us, which draws us close to God. Fasting number two, fasting reveals sin. It, it gives us space for reflection, and, and, and that's made in a disruption of, of our routine. Proverbs 25 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What's that saying? It's saying, look, it's difficult 
for even ourselves to understand what's going on in our hearts, to understand our own motives. But someone who's prudent, someone who's a man of understanding, they'll work that out, right? And, and so I, I, think, I think what we can take away from that is that, you know what, so many times uh, there's, there's not enough space for us to get out of our busy lives and really reflect on what's going on in our lives and in our hearts, to really see our attitudes for what they are, right? Because you're all up in the middle of it. But, but this disruption of our routine, of stopping and spending time with God, it can potentially, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, give us a new perspective and allow us to reflect and see some sinful attitudes there. And it reveals sin because, you know, attitudes tend to surface when our routines are disrupted, right? Sinful attitudes that have kind of settled towards the bottom tend to to crop up when our routines are disrupted. You don't believe me? Skip a meal. Skip two meals. How do you feel, right? Then you'll see some attitudes come up in you that, that you don't, you know, I didn't know that was there, right? You might say some things to your spouse or, or to someone in your family and you go, I, I didn't know that, I didn't know I felt that way. I didn't know that was going on in my heart, right? Or, 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 or don't even do that. You know what? Just don't sleep as much. Disrupt that routine, right? Wake up too early or, or, or purposefully be late somewhere. How are you going to feel, right? Not so good. It sometimes it it just for me. It, it and that's just I guess that's just my experience is that it, it it kind of shows me some of those feelings and some of those sinful attitudes that maybe I've just let settle at the bottom. And that disruption of my routine reveals that to me. And so I it once it's revealed, I can repent and then what? Draw near to God again, drawing me close to Him. So fasting humbles us. It reveals sinfulness. And thirdly, fasting helps break worldly control over us. At times, I'm not hungry for God because I've had my fill of other things. Anybody else? I'm not hungry for more of him because I've had more of everything else. And this artificial sustenance, this this junk food, if you will, it's filling my stomach. Is it making me sick? Yes. Is is, is Is it helping me in any way? No. Is it hurting me? Absolutely. But I'm full of it. And so what fasting does is it breaks, it can break that worldly control over us. I, I have to, sometimes there's sinful attitudes and, and sinful way of thinking about things and, and way of living that, that I just go day to day to day and don't even think about it. And breaking up that routine can break that hold over us. It gives me an opportunity to break that hold and expel those things from my life and do what Paul says. I discipline my body. I train my body. I don't let it control me. I control it. And John Piper said um, in his book, Hunger for God, again, I highly recommend, do you have a hunger for God? If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. If we're full of what the world offers, then perhaps a fast might express or even increase our soul's appetite for God. Between the dangers of self-denial and self-indulgence is the path of pleasant pain called fasting. So fasting can humble us. It can reveal sinfulness. It can help break worldly control over us. And fourthly, fasting helps confirm our commitment to God. It's one thing for me to tell Angela, you know, I I love you. Uh, You're my one and only. I'll forsake all others. It's a complete other thing for me to to ask her to marry me, for, for, for me to give her my last name, for me to stand before God and all of our family and friends and to say, you are mine. I am yours. There is no 
other. It's a different thing for me to continually display my love and affection for her, to continually turn away from others and, and just keep my focus and my affection on her, right? It brings my talk from talk into what? Into a walk. And fasting does that for us. It helps us take our talk of commitment to God into a walking of commitment to God. Andrew Murray said, fasting helps express and deepen and confirm the resolution that we're ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek from the kingdom of God. It makes me think about Abraham and Isaac. God asked Abraham to, to bring his son Isaac as a sacrifice to him, his only son, who God has promised would, uh, he would, he would uh, make him a mighty nation through him. And he says, you bring him for a sacrifice. And as Isaac brings that knife above his son, fully intending to do it. You look at the book of Hebrews. He fully believed that he would do it, and he fully believed that God would raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise. So he's ready to kill his only son, his beloved, son and then an angel of the Lord says this in Genesis twenty two twelve. do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your own son your only son from me did God already know that of course he did God sees our hearts of course he did but what's going on here now Abraham has offered God a worshipful demonstration of his talk his talk has become walk and now Abraham has this experiential knowledge of his own commitment to the Lord it's brought his commitment talk into a commitment walk before the Lord so fasting humbles us it reveals sinfulness it breaks worldly control over us it helps confirm Firm our commitment to God. And lastly, fasting helps take our eyes off of the physical world and put them on the spiritual world. It's hard not to look around us all the time and see all the shiny bells and the whistles and the things that we love here and, and not be convinced that we're home, right? I'm very comfortable here. Like, I like my house. I, I like the things that we have. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty partial to my family, right? I, 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 like, I like my church. I, I, I like my friends. I'm, I'm comfortable here, right? I, I love the, the food that God gives me. I love all the things that, he's, that, that he constantly blesses me with. I'm, I'm comfortable. And it's hard to, to take our focus off of this and to, to really see it for what it is. This is not our home. This is temporary, Right? And what fasting does is it, it breaks our eyes and our focus off of the physical for a moment, right? No, no, I'm not going to eat. I know I want to. I'm not going to eat. I know I enjoy this food. I'm not going to enjoy it. It takes our eyes off the physical and puts them on the spiritual. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So fasting helps us take our eyes off of the physical world and put them on the spiritual world. Again, what does that do? That brings us closer to God. I can have more of him because I'm looking right at him, right? So that brings us to our fifth question I want to answer about fasting. How do we fast? This is kind of simple. Number one, make a choice to do it. D.L. Moody said, if you say, I'll fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You're too cold and indifferent to take the yoke upon you. Isn't that true? How many of you in this room who fasting hasn't been an important part of your life, and this is true for me, like, you, you haven't felt the Lord just go, you need to fast, right? Oh, I feel like fasting today. No, it's a choice. We need to make that choice. That's what we do with discipline. We make that choice, right? Working out every morning is a discipline, right? How many of you guys who do that, you weirdos, how many of you guys who work out every morning feel like it every morning? You don't. If you do, you're even more weird. You're even more far gone, right? Well, you don't feel like it, but you do it. Same thing with fasting. Make the choice and then do it. 
deny yourself something physical and give that time to God. I would recommend food. I think it, it, it closely follows the example of the scriptures and definitely follows the example of Jesus. And, and, and also it's so basic that it's, and, and it's so need driven that it's, it's probably the most disruptive thing. You can give up, and that's what you want. But if you can't, you might not be able to give up anything physical. It can absolutely, or, or, or food, it can absolutely be other things. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special, peculiar reasons in certain circumstances should be controlled. That is fasting. So how do you do it? Make the choice and do it. Make the choice and do it. Sixthly, here we go, last question to ask. When do we fast? Well, first, I want to say regularly is fine. I've read some commentators, even heard some pastors say that regular fasting is not appropriate for Christian fasting, for Christians in this, this, new, uh, this new covenant. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true for multiple reasons, but I'll just give you one. If you look at Paul's ministry, it's one marked by fasting. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, and 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. I would, I would caution you to be careful of letting it not be disruptive, letting it become so familiar and, and just a part of what you do, right, that you maybe even compensate for it, right, and it, becomes, it just becomes routine. Don't do that. Let it continue to be disruptive, but regularly is fine, but also specific times of need. It's probably where fasting will come up more in our lives. So what specific times of need? Well, in the early church, it was big decisions. We see that uh, at the appointment of elders in the church in Galatia in Acts 14. They fasted. There's a big decision. We're going to fast. We're going to seek the Lord, right? We're going to put that focus on the Lord. God, we want to hear from you. We're going to display and show you that we want to hear from you. We're going to give up things, right? Or, or maybe it's difficulties and trials and testing in your life, and you need the Lord's strength. Well, then you need to get rid of other strength and focus on the Lord's strength. We see Jesus do that in the wilderness in Matthew. Matthew 4. Maybe it's spiritual warfare. In Mark chapter 9, 29, there's a, a demon that the disciples couldn't cast out. And Jesus said, no, 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 this one takes prayer and fasting. What's he saying? In spiritual warfare, there are times where you need my strength uh, even more than you realize. And the way to harness that strength, the way to see it is, is you fast. You pray and you fast. You focus on my strength in that moment. So maybe it's a spiritual warfare you're enduring. Maybe it's one you're watching. Someone else is dealing with. Prayer and fasting is appropriate. Maybe it's just to hear the Lord. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, the church prayed and fasted, and what it says in that scripture is that the then the Holy Spirit spoke. Not the Holy Spirit spoke, so they prayed and fasted. No, no, no. They prayed and fasted, then the Holy Spirit spoke. You need to hear from the Lord. You need to hear guidance from the Lord. Be desperate enough and fast and pray, and you'll hear from him. And maybe it's just to deepen your faith and trust in him. But fasting is an incredible, incredible grace that God has given us. And I want to close with, with, with this statement. Fasting, for us believers, is not a question of if we should fast, but a question of when should we fast. It's not a question of if. But I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter. But, but no, I'm, like, I haven't been a believer long. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not a question of if. I've made it a question of if a lot in my life. It's not. The Lord settled that. Do we need to do this again? I'll preach again. Here we go, from the top. No, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when. And so believers, Jesus um, prophesied by saying one day they will fast. Are you going to participate in the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy? I want to. I hope you do too. 
I hope that you no longer bypass, like I have so many times, bypass this means of grace because you don't understand it or, or because there's a roadblock in the way. I hope you barrel straight through it, knowing, knowing what's waiting for you, knowing that the grace of God is there and that you can have more of him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you that you've brought us to what I would say uh, personally, I can't speak for everyone, but I would say personally has been a forgotten grace in my life. I imagine, Lord, that there are incredible, life-changing, like eternity-shaking things you want to do in our lives as we meet you on this path of grace. So God, would you help us see its value? Would you give us the courage to just make the commitment, to just do it, to just experience it? And give us the confidence to know that you'll meet us there. We're not wasting our time giving up the physical for the spiritual. You will meet us there and you will give us more of yourself. Our faith will be deepened. Our affections will be strengthened. So God, may we be a people who no longer neglect this grace. We be a people who openly embrace it. As the enemy throws up roadblock after roadblock for us on this path. To hell with those. Away from us. Away from our relationship with you. May they go. May they be destroyed. May we say, I don't care. I don't care what you put in my way. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for God. Throw up my time. Throw up difficulties. Throw up distractions. I don't care. I'm hungry for God and I will be satisfied in Him. God, give us a strength of resolve. to find you in fasting and prayer. I can't imagine what you're going to do for your fame and our joy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.